comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dudes. Dude. His dudeness. Duder. El Duderino. Dude. Dude. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. Hello, everyone. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast, episode 240. Jordan says it's like 420, only not really. And it's also 20 over terminal velocity. 20 over terminal velocity. It's your BS show for what month is this? April? Holy crap. Already. Hello, Jordan and Russell. Hello. Hello. It's a three-man crew tonight. Uh, Jim is busy lifting furniture, I believe. Yeah, big move for him. I will not lift any furniture in this episode or any time again in my life. <laughs> Osteoporosis is a pain to deal with. It's a bitch. So, spring is here. It's the season of... What is it the season of? It's the season baseball. of video games. Baseball, yes, of course. And uh, I guess gearing up in comics for summer events. Yeah, yeah. Although, really, one of Marvel's big events has already started. Sort of, yeah. It, the Age of Ultron, is that what we speak of? I, yes. Uh, full disclosure, I am way behind in everything. This is kind of like my busy time of the year. In China, we'll uh, be discussing things that came out in, you know, September of 2012. Yes. <laughs> That's a much less interesting show. What uh, what has been your? Maybe we could start with Age of Ultron. Are we two or three issues in at this point? Uh, th- three issues are out. I've only read the first two. Before we get to that, could, could I could I do a little business? Oh, sorry. Yes, please. So, as as listeners know, that with the HHW LOD podcast network, there's always change. We're always either adding or removing or flipping things around and so it's been a while so it's it's of course time to do that again and one of the things with our website is um, for some of you may know we had a bit of a disruption about a month ago or so and we got that all resolved but the backbone of our website is using a platform that's is not supported anymore so we need to upgrade it and unfortunately uh, that upgrade is pretty extensive, um, and it's probably going to cause some disruption on the podcast feeds. So if you're listening to this and you don't see there's any more episodes out, or uh, it, it's probably going to be somewhere around May 1st. Um, so somewhere in the first couple weeks of May, if you see that you know no more shows show up, then do, a, you know, do another search on iTunes or go to the website, go to hhwlod.com, 
and resubscribe to the feeds um, because it's like I said, there's probably going to be some disruption. We'll try and minimize it as much as we can. We may get lucky and um, all of the URLs and everything will will match, and it's just going to be business as usual. But uh, but in case it's not, we just wanted to give everybody a heads up on that. Follow the Twitter and the Facebook because we'll definitely be posting up um, the specifics of that and keep everybody in the loop. So again, it's at LOD Tweet. Um, and on Facebook, you can you can either search out any of the shows, um, but specifically Legion of Dudes, and we will make sure uh, that we keep that posted as well as all the other shows. So we just wanted to get that out of the way, and we'll probably repeat this announcement over the next several weeks just to prep everybody uh, and make sure nobody gets left behind. Yes, and we'd also like to apologize uh, if the filthy hacker scum has left anybody with Cialis ads when they click any of our links (laughs) or uh, any other material that may be, you know, objectionable. Uh, That's part of the reason we need to upgrade so we're a little more hacker-proof. Although, to be fair, it did look like a really good deal. Yeah, I'll let you know when the order comes (laughs) how it it works out. But we did have some faulty links due to some security breaches and, and things like that. So that's what we're looking to avoid in the future. Now back to now the regular then. scheduled podcast. Yes, now then. The Age of Ultron. Continue. So or three, start again. Three issues are out. Uh, I've read the first two. I have the third one. I just uh, I got a lot of books on Wednesday, including the new Unwritten Trades and um, Bioshock Infinite came out, so I haven't read a lot of stuff, including uh, Age of Ultron 3. Or some of the tie-ins that I got as well. Fantastic Four and uh, Superior Spider-Man, I believe, are the ones I picked up. Yeah, I've read one through three. And I've not read any of the tie-ins, but, um, I, you know, I think the response overall seems to be pretty negative. I don't really have a negative response, but I don't have an overwhelmingly positive response. Uh, I, I think that, you know, again, it's it's Bendis and Hitch. It appears to be set in the present, but, you know, everything's all turned upside down. I mean, this is very much like dystopian present, I guess I would say, instead of dystopian future. Um, characters are acting very different. Um, you know, there's there's like Black Widow has this, you know, huge scar on her face over her eye. And, you know, the, the, everything's kind of in, in chaos. Um, it, the one thing I will say, and, and part of this is just, I think, Bendis. And part of it, I think, is just the, the way they've chosen to tell the story. But um, it does seem to be moving at a snail's pace. I mean, we're three issues in and very little in general has happened. Um, I think issue three has started to pick up a little bit. We start to get a little bit more of what's really going on with this thing. But I, I really think in the end, this will be like a 10 issue series that probably could have been told in five. Yeah, and I feel like I did read issue one, and, uh, you know, I I liked it. Nothing mind-blowing, and a few things that we've kind of seen before. Um, So hopefully this goes in a a direction that that works, because this kind of has a big build-up. You know, I think that, I mean, what issue was that chalkboard timeline shown where the Ultron War was circled? Yeah, it was like... Wasn't it issue five of the last volume of Avengers? That went yeah, like some... what four or five years ago? Yeah, it went like twenty. It went like what thirty-two issues or something, and then they've gotten you know five or six of the current cycle. So yeah, it's, eight actually. It's been... There's eight of the new one. Oh, eight. Yeah, but it's it's shipping more than frequently than once a month. But yeah, yeah. Um, 
it's double a month. So yeah, it's been it's been over three years, I would say, or right about three years. Yeah, so you would think that they have something big planned. Well, um, I mean, I know we generally stay away from spoilers, but you guys have seen what was leaked about the ending, right? Uh, yeah the the gaming thing, the Angela. Yeah, which means absolutely nothing to me. So hopefully, within the story, they they build it up to meaning something and explaining it to the people who weren't reading comics in 1995. But uh, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that that leaked so early. She is, I guess, spoiler alert, uh, that Angela, a very popular Spawn character from the mid-90s, like like Jordan had mentioned, it, I guess he's, she is 50% owned by Neil Gaiman? Is that the deal? No, from and what 50- I understand, she is 100% owned by Gaiman. Okay. That was the deal. And, and she is known, I, I've never been a huge Spawn reader even back in the 90s I wasn't really reading much comics so I never really I always liked the way the books looked and Spawn is a cool looking character and like the McFarlane toys were pretty awesome correct me if I'm wrong Russ she's her solo book is often considered like one of the readable image titles of the 90s I you know again I'm kind of like with you John I even though I was reading a lot of books in the 90s I wasn't reading any of the image books so I'm really not familiar with Spawn at all, um, and and specifically the character. I'm more familiar, I guess, with kind of the legal battle that's that's come about since uh, you know since then between uh, Gaiman and McFarlane. But I yeah, I have almost no history with this character whatsoever, other than like you seeing the McFarlane figures in the uh, in Toys R Us and and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, anyway, Jordan, I have heard people that did read books then and image books and were in that whole scene say that they were excited that it was the character Angela because she was one of the more interesting characters of the period. So, Has she ever interacted with the Marvel Universe before that you no, guys know of? No, okay. no. So it's no, not no. like when she shows up, Ultron will be like, it's you or something. No, no. I, this is unprecedented for me. I, I can't think of, and my comics history blows, obviously, but <laughs> I can't. I can't think of any other character that has completely jumped you know, permanently jumped companies when it wasn't like a, a company a crossover, out right? Company. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, I guess the only comparison to that is is when DC bought the Wildstorm titles, and even then they didn't really jump until the New Fifty Two, and then they just melded everything together. But you know, I think a lot of that was more prevalent way back in the day. You know, when you know DC bought. Um, Fawcett and you know back in the 50s or 60s or whatever and you know in the early days when you know the Flash and and uh, you know some of those early Golden Age characters were run by different companies and then and then quickly put under the DC umbrella but yeah in modern time I mean we've had crossovers you know we've had the the DC Marvel crossover from I guess about 10 or uh, 15 years ago and then you know, DC and Image did a lot of crossover. We had like Batman Spawn, Spawn Batman, and there were and there were things like that that went on. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I can't think of anything else modern other than, like I said, with that Wildstorm thing, where um, a character has jumped into a completely separate universe um, and stay there. And this is kind of unique too, because you know, Spawn is not jumping into the Marvel universe, and the other characters in that in that universe that Angela is connected with aren't jumping over. This is like a one off. Yeah, and the only uh, the only similar situation I can think of is more like licensed properties, which wouldn't really count, like a Transformers or a GI sure. Joe or a Star Wars. But uh, yeah, I can't think of any examples either that are similar to this. 
The the only other thing is Bendis and Marvel have been quick to point out that this is not the big spoiler quote unquote ending to Age of Ultron, that there's something else uh tacked on with this, that this isn't the only thing going on. Fingers crossed for Marvel Man? Uh I, I think that's a pretty safe bet. I think either that or um I'm not sure what Hank Pym is up to lately, but I know there's that one um image that's been put out where it looks like Ultron armor around somebody's face and it looks kind of like Hank Pym so I don't know if we're going to find out that maybe the big bad behind all this is Hank I, I, I don't I don't know um, I know there's been hints at things like because of all the time travel that's going to be involved it's going to make Wolverine's healing factor go wonky and there's been talk of like a death of Wolverine story so there's all kinds of rumor wrote, floating around the, the other thing is this story this has been done for like two years this was planned to go before Avengers versus X-Men I mean Hitch yeah, that's one of the things that's surprising. This is coming out weekly, and it's actually on time because Hitch drew all these issues like two years ago. So other than maybe some last-minute changes based on the way the universe has changed, uh, this whole thing is pretty much in the can. And if it does turn out that Marvel or Miracle Man or whatever is part involved, that would explain why it took them two years to get them into a book after they acquired them. Yeah, yeah. I know, I, I'm, I enjoyed the first two issues uh, enough, I guess. I thought the art was pretty beautiful. None of the characterization threw me. I know people like to complain about that with Bendis, but I, I mean, granted, I don't read a lot of those characters normally, but the ones I do, everything seems right on, and I like post-apocalyptic stuff. So I, I think it's only a 10-issue commitment with some of the tie-ins, and I'm only buying a couple. Uh, it, I'm liking it enough to continue. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat, and it comes with the digital um, so that, you know, it's a three ninety nine book. It comes out weekly, but you know, being that the digital is included, that's usually kind of a grabber for me. Um, cause then I'll just, I'll probably, you know, flip the, the singles or somebody, you know, try and get them off to somebody or something like that. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm cu- I'm curious to see, to see where it goes in the end and then how, how things change from there. The, the one odd thing I know a lot of people point out is the whole Spider-Man thing. You know, this was written with, you know, Peter Parker being Peter, you know, Spider-Man and not the Doc Ock Peter Parker Spider-Man. The other thing is Sue Storm is definitely in the series proper. And so from what I understand, this this uh, Fantastic Four issue coming up maybe explains uh, what's going on with that. But maybe like I said, I haven't read it, although from what I read, it's it's not Peter. It's it's Spock. Um. I haven't, like I said, I didn't read the issue yet, but that that was Bendis's official word, I think, on Twitter. It's Spock. Um, yeah, and I don't think they go into it too much in um, Spider Ock. Yeah, Spider Ock is that what that, that's okay. what people have been calling him on Reddit. So gotcha, it works for gotcha. me. Um, uh, it's better than Pock. Um, but yes. <laughs> um, I, I have a feeling that who he is is not going to be investigated or dwelled on in the main story. But it's just that. Uh, Superior Spider-Man 6AU issue that will focus on it. I think the tie-ins are more into retconning this story into two years later uh, more than anything else, and that'll probably be where it's explained, but otherwise it doesn't really matter in the context of the story. You know, he's still trying not to die. It doesn't really matter who he is, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. And hey, Chromium. You know, I, 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 I put this on Facebook, but I was like, you know... Part of me really thought that cover was pretty cool. <laughs> Not that I want to see that trend started again. No, but, I agree. Uh, but it was really cool, and it it was kind of fitting. I mean, Ultron, you know. Yeah, it, exactly. It if you're gonna do it, this is the place. 
Yeah, and they didn't gouge you either. It was still a three ninety nine book, even with that cover, which I thought was with the was free cool. digital copy as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will say this. Um, maybe I'll save this for for next week's next week. Uh, I think on the docket we're going to do a digital comics uh, episode, but Marvel is making the whole digital free digital with the three ninety nine less prominent on the cover. So I'm wondering if uh, if this if we're going to see this kind of silently go away. Um, or be more not. selective. I hope not, but only time will tell, I guess. Yeah, I think I think they're going to be. They may start to get wise with the whole tons of people are selling the codes on eBay or on um, message <laughs> boards and stuff like that, and they may feel like they're kind of getting hosed on that deal. Well, now that I've got my iPhone, I really like having those codes. I took all of them and spent a couple hours just typing in code after code from all the three ninety nine books I had from the last however long they've been doing it, six, eight months. And yeah. uh, it's really cool. In addition to that 700 free issues, which we'll probably talk about, I guess, on the, the digital episode, um, just getting all those issues to read when I'm, you know, on the train or, you know, being driven somewhere or just waiting in a doctor's office or something like that. It's, it's great. Don't have to carry around books. Yeah. Yeah. But I've still got the books if, you know, I want the full experience, quote unquote. Right. So what else you guys have been reading? Jordan and I, I know, uh, read East of West, which oh, was yeah. is the new uh, Jonathan Hickman, Nick Dragota book from Image. I don't know, if John, if you had a chance to to pick this one up or check it out. No, I, I've only been following on the you know email that uh, it's the first I've heard of it when you guys mentioned it. So I'd like to hear the premise. Uh, well, it's Hickman, so it's not an easy premise, but uh, alternate future history. Love it. Uh, involving the Old West, um, involving the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, uh, and involving Awesome. And the art is really good. The, the Dragota art is is pretty top-notch. And it's it's interesting, too, because the paper it's printed on is not the real glossy, uh, high-sheen type of paper. It's almost like this flat, um, not newsprint, but it's it's really flat. Um, and so it's really kind of fitting with this whole old old West motif. And it was a supersized issue too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like 42 pages with the ads, I think, or something like that. Um, yeah, that sounds right. But it's very, it, like Jordan said, it's very Hickman. Um, it, it's it's kind of cool because it, it's laid out like a Hickman book. I mean, a lot of the the way he lays out his credits pages and, and you know does a little like prologue for the story and then puts his title pages in there and then and then continues on but it, it kind of sets up where things it's like the civil war is kind of where things diverged um timeline wise and then it and then it jumps forward but yeah i think the main story is what 2064 yeah yeah it's 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 uh late late 21st century and uh the us is kind of broken up into these uh zones so there's like the seven uh, I think the U.S. is broken up into seven zones. So it's like um, the eastern part, and then it's like the central, and then, of course, um, Texas is its own thing. So it's like the Republic of Texas, and then, like, California is is its own area. Um, and there's a cool map at the end that shows how it's it's broken out. Yeah, the basic change was that the, the Native Americans banded together um, and what I'm assuming, I'd have to look up the history, was something that almost happened in real history and then just didn't. Because the whole point is that the, like, the one 
last elder agreed to this, and so now the U.S. is broken up into like uh, like Russ said, it's bro- broken up into the Republic of Texas, into the United States Union, basically, which is the Northeast, um, the Confederate States of America, a completely Native American zone, a kind of gray zone in the middle where everybody meets, something called the Great Plains, and then a section which looks to be completely controlled by either Japan or China. Like, you see the Golden Gate Bridge, and it's in a very Asian style of build. So everybody got their own kind of little chunk after the Civil War. And I think there's even a British part as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. And it's... So it's it, it's almost kind of like, to some degree, like maybe DMZ, you know, where where they pick this point in history where things just kind of get sideways and then things get broken up. And it's kind of interesting because the Confederate, the Union, what's what's left of the actual United States, which is pretty much like, um, I would say, Illinois eastward north of the Mason-Dixon line. So, you know, pretty much coinciding with, the, you know, what was the uh, the Union, you know, back in 18, 1860s when, when the Civil War was going on. The soldiers... Their uniforms are still, even though it's like 2064, their their uni, their military uniforms are very reminiscent of of uh, Union soldier uniforms from the Civil War. Like they've kind of modernized and have armor and stuff like that, but the hats still look like they do uh, from back then. Um, so it there's definite stylistic ties back to the whole Civil War era. And like uh, we mentioned earlier, there's the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and you have Basically, Death decides to uh, cut ties with the with the other three, and so he's starting. What appears to be is that he's starting his own Horseman of the Apocalypse, and the other three are not happy about this. But the other three have been reincarnated as children. So, if you loved Hickman's work on FF, which I did, and Dragata's work there as well, I mean, this is slightly different style for Dragata. It's very darker and much more cinematic. I, I like it in both ways that he did it. But basically, think of the younger Three Horsemen of the Apocalypse as an evil future foundation, and it's pretty fantastic. It's like a group of Bentleys from FF, and I can't think of anything better. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty impressed with it so far. I'm, you know, the like I said, the first issue just came out uh, last week, and I picked it up, and I, I think I'm this is one I'm, I'm definitely in for. Like I said, the art is really good. Nick Tragoda, who worked with Hickman on FF, he was the artist for, I guess, the, the tail end of that volume of that book. Um, I guess what maybe issues six through twenty or so or something like that. Um, and it was definitely the issues where they were in Latveria. I think that was the first issue he started was when the Baxter Building landed there, um, and then the whole fight with the Sentinels. I'm not sure where he ended. He might have been through the end actually, but it it definitely started in um, in Latveria if I remember correctly. All really solid issues, writing and and art wise. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's it's like I said, it's off to a really good start. The other issue, um, or the other series that I, I picked up, was uh, by Andy Diggle and Jock, and it's called Snapshot. And uh, I got issue one a while back, and I finally got around to reading it, and and it made me actually when I when I got east to west, I went and actually picked up issue two. Um, and this one's black and white, and it's I don't even know at this point how to describe the premise, but the the, the closest I can relate it to is. Uh, there's a, there's a, a British series on um, Channel 4 called Utopia. And uh, I know John, me, uh, Jordan, and Jim have been really big on this series. It was a six-episode run in in Britain. 
Uh, the Blu-ray, I guess, came out somewhat recently. It's been renewed for a second season, even though the ratings weren't gangbusters. But this snapshot series has that same feel to it, where um, there's an event that happens, a violent event that happens in the beginning. It's it's a group of characters, and in this case, one character that kind of is in the wrong place at the wrong time, more or less, and uh, is kind of the victim of circumstance and thrown into this conspiracy that's going on and he's trying to figure out what's you know what's going on and it's it's a this one I think is a four issue it's a four issue limited series and I'm not sure if if it's meant to be a contained story or if they plan on uh you know putting an initial mini series out there and then moving it forward but uh but again it's it's uh it's Andy Diggle on the writing and Jock on the art um in black and white so it's it's not uh you know, again, if you're familiar with Jock's stuff from The Losers and, uh, you know, I guess he had he did some detective stuff recently. Yeah, I could see his stuff uh, looking great in, in black and white, especially for a gritty sort of crime thriller comic. Uh, yeah. It fits. And it's very black and white. It's not even uh, like a grayscale. I mean, you know, it's it's things are either inked heavy or not at all. So it's very there's a very stark contrast with the art. But yeah, it's it's definitely like I said, it's it's definitely worth checking out. And it, it, there's a lot of similarities, like I said, between uh, that Utopia series and this. You know, it kind of starts out in a comic shop, and there's kind of this violent event that occurs there, and um, and things just get crazy. Where the people that are killing people in the beginning, you don't even know who they are or why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and and crazy stuff goes on, but it's uh, it's it, I'm curious to see where it goes and um, you know what what the what the scoop is behind this whole thing. And I guess we'll probably save any discussion of BKV's The Private Eye for the digital show, right? Yeah, I have not had a chance to read that yet. So, but yeah, I think that that would be a great a great one to, to discuss for that show. Yeah, I guess I'll say just a nutshell since we won't discuss it here. Uh, really cool, check it out. It's uh pay whatever you want as I believe what the model is so check yep. out Brian K. Vaughan's uh, The Private Eye and we'll talk about it next week oh really pay whatever you want you say yes, yes. Sir. Um, and and how do you I guess I'm guessing you can't do that then through Comixology it's uh, from the site it or... is only available through their site and it's completely DRM free so you pick PDF CBZ CBR you know whatever you want interesting yeah and it's formatted to be read on a computer screen. Yeah. You wouldn't know the website address offhand, would you? Uh, is it the privateye.com? Panelsyndicate.com. Yes. Very good. What do you think people would pay? What if, you know, if you were told, okay, here's this digital comic. You're definitely going to love it. It's a full-length comic, and money is no object. What, do, what are you going to pay? I paid three ninety nine. I mean, I, I like both create. I really like both creators involved, um, and I figured at least for the first issue, I would pay that full price. And I think I'll continue to pay that full price because I think um, they're 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 putting themselves out on a limb to a certain extent, and the the quality of the work they're putting out is strong enough that I have no problem helping support them. All right, let me let me rephrase that. Pretend it's not this. It's any comic. It's not a comic that they specifically said pay what you want and put it on their website. It's a digital comic that you're gonna love. What are you gonna? What are you okay paying? In in this instance, since it's DRM free, um, and it's a digital comic and it's full length, I would pay two. I pay I pay two bucks. And normally, and I know I've railed 
you know, time and time again that I think 99 cents is the sweet spot for comics. And a lot of that just has to do with it making somewhat disposable. Uh, so for me, that's somebody that's into this. And again, the DRM free thing I think is big because I've spent quite a bit of money on comicsology over the last couple of years, especially, I mean, and I don't think I've maybe in one or two instances, I've paid more than 99 cents. Um, but if comicsology goes away tomorrow and I lose all of that, A, I'm going to be really pissed and I'll probably acquire everything I've paid in another way just because I've paid for it. But but again, because this is DRM free, uh, I can I own it, I have it, I can I can read it forever because it's just a either a PDF file or a bunch of JPEGs uh, slapped together. I think that's worth a bit of a premium in in my opinion. Yeah, and in, in, in every way possible, we're voting with our wallets, and this is the kind of model and the kind of material that um, I am certainly happy to contribute to in, in this way. Um, I mean, if like if you're saying it's just some random book, uh, you know, pay what you want. You know, for a first issue, a dollar or two, and if it's something that I think is strong, I think I would pay based on that. If I don't think it's strong, I'm not going to pick up the second issue. If I think it's strong, I'll pay whatever the going rate for comics is at that time, which right now is two ninety nine, three ninety nine. Right. I think my sweet spot right now, I think it's a dollar ninety nine. Like I seem, I find myself waiting a couple of months. Um, some publishers, I know, like. Uh, IDW definitely does it um, and I guess maybe Image like maybe two months after the book is out it'll drop from two ninety nine to a dollar ninety nine, and I, I find myself picking them up then like Saga I'll wait a couple of months and, and then I'll pick them up um, I think the uh, Valiant books are the same I, I've been waiting a couple yeah. of months then I'll go back and grab a couple of back issues for the dollar ninety nine. so that seems to be my spot right now and, and that could change I mean I haven't bought a physical comic you know, it'll be a year this summer, so I guess I'm warming up more and more to the digital being, you know, thinking of it as the full version. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything anymore by not getting the print. I, I'm um, the same way, yeah. So we'll see how that trends. Any other comics? Uh, just a short one, I'll say. Superior Spider-Man continues to be really good, and it's fun to not only know that I like it, but reading through reviews online after I've read the issue to find out just how many people who hated the even the idea of what the book is doing really embracing the comic. Like, I'm sure there's still stalwarts out there who absolutely hate it, even with the material that's being you know, released, but the vast majority of the reviews I've been looking at are like, man, I hate to say it, but this is a good comic, and I've got to agree with them. I, I don't hate to say it. I, I love to say it. I think it's a cool idea. But even the people who did seem to be coming around. Very similar to the brand new day reaction, right? Like hated uh, that it off the took bat a lot then... longer. That okay. to to really and to be fair, those issues that that came in with brand new day right after one more day weren't as strong as this. They were fine, but it took a bit for that book to really find its feet and to put out consistently strong issues. Whereas Superior so far has been consistently really good. Yeah, I think when Amazing, correct me if I'm wrong, Jordan, but when it got to big time. I think that's when the skeptics really um, embraced it. Like once big time hit, I think people saw like how good it could be again. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, you're exactly right. And then when the gauntlet hit, which was right very soon after, that's when really people really started to take notice because not only was it solid, those issues. I mean, that's where those Rhino issues are, Craven's Last Hunt, 
or Craven's first hunt, whatever the the title was, um, where all those issues started to come in, and it was some really cool stuff. I, you know what? I think you might be right because I think that stuff was right before Big Time. I think it was that then Big Time. Oh, was it right before? I thought it was yeah. right after. Either way, yeah, because yeah. Big Time was when he got all the new suits and everything. So, and I'm pretty sure I read from Big Time forward. So, and I gotcha. and I haven't read Craven's first hunt or the Gauntlet. So I th- I think you're right. I think that stuff was came prior. And that was the stuff that kind of reintroduced Kane back into the universe. Yeah, um, brought in a whole bunch of new villains, and that, or brought back a whole lot of old villains who hadn't been around since Brand New Day started, um, and which, which made a lot of people happy. But on top of that, the stories were super solid. And I, um, I, I really haven't read a lot of DC. Um, I'm a little bit behind on. You know, we talked. I think last month we talked about Batman Inc. Number Eight. Um, I haven't read a ton of DC, but I think the DC that I have read we'll be talking about next week on the digital episode because most of my DC reading at this point um, is on the digital first side. So, so I think we'll have more to to speak about DC uh, next week. The one, the one other thing I wanted I wanted to ask you guys about because I'm not sure if you've been following it, but Uncanny Avengers number five came out, and there's been this huge controversy on the web um, and and I know Remender's gotten tied up on it and been kind of attacked by on Twitter and he's kind of fired back um, but this whole thing with Alex Summers saying that he doesn't he's basically treating the word mutant as a racial epithet and um, he, he doesn't you know he thinks that you know they should be identified as themselves and not be called mutants and and it's just had this this crazy backlash which in, in a way it kind of baffles me um but i you know when i read the the issue and saw that bit of it it didn't bother me at all like i didn't see that as something as a negative but uh i, I didn't know if you guys read the issue or been following any of the the craziness going on i read that page i think somebody posted a scan on reddit and i thought it was kind of cool i had no idea there was a controversy uh which kind of surprises me honestly because i mean you go back for through X-Men history, and the X-Men were always a stand-in for marginalized groups, be it racial uh, groups in the 60s or when the movie started to come around, it was, uh, you know, sexual groups, uh, different orientations, that kind of stuff like that. And to me, a a move like this by Alex Summers in particular makes perfect sense as something the character would do, and quite honestly, that, that should have probably been done earlier. I mean, even go back to the beginning, and Magneto is... Now, I guess they didn't really humanize Magneto till later, but, you know, he's supposed to be this freedom fighter, this, uh, you know, Holocaust survivor, and he's leading a group called the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Like, even then, it should have been brought down to maybe the Brotherhood of Mutants. Um, and certainly in 2013, dropping the word altogether, which I don't think the books are really going to do. I think this is the character stance more than Marvel's stance. Um, but it seems to make perfect sense in terms of staying a... Um, uh, stay, staying the course as a stand-in for marginalized groups. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It just, it, like I said, I just didn't understand the kind of attack on Remender. Um, and then he kind of lashed out back on it. Um, I'm, I'm sure if you follow his tweets, you can see some of it's maybe not fit f- to for me to relay back on the show. But I was kind of with him because I, A, I think... It's just funny books. People need to just chill out a little bit. Um, but they're trying to equate it to, 
you know, people's racial identity or people's social identity or their sexual identity. And I just didn't get that at all. I mean, you know, the point that Alex was trying to make in the book was, hey, why don't you just call me Alex? Or why don't you just call me Havoc? Why do I have to be labeled as a mutant? You know, why can't I be labeled as, um, you know, an American or a citizen or by my name? And um, I think it was trying to kind of deconstruct the whole, you know, everything's got to have a label. And uh, I, for some reason, it just kind of set people off. And I'm, I, I uh, maybe as middle-aged white guy, maybe I, you know, I just don't identify with it as, as much as other folks would, but um, I, I just, I just really don't get it. Projecting real life issues onto X-Men comics is never a, <laughs> well, but but I mean, even idea. for me, and I totally see how it connects to the real life issues, and that may just be, and this is not to make another age joke, I've made plenty of those over the years, but, you know, for people of my generation, it is more of a uh, a bigger issue, I guess, the the whole labeling thing, particularly people of my generation like to label other people but hate to be labeled themselves because we're hypocrites, but um, <laughs> even though I do see it as a stand-in for those, for you know, for marginalized groups, like I've already said a couple times, I, I'm surprised that anyone could read that and see it as a negative. Like to me, yes, it's a stand-in for those groups, but in a good way. So why I can't? I mean, I'm granted. I can see why there there would be a controversy because people like to be stupid, um, and people like to complain about everything, particularly. You know, particularly when you're talking about marginalized groups, hey, they're marginalized. People are going to be upset whenever you try to unmarginalize them, even if they're fictional. So I can unfortunately see, in theory, how a controversy would exist, but I still think the controversy, however big or or, uh, widespread it is, is stupid. And that is me saying that as a person who learned about it 45 seconds ago. So (laughs) I haven't exactly done my research, but speaking from the heart, that's how I feel. And that that's all the comic stuff I had. So I'll throw in a quick uh you know, continuing plug for Avengers and New Avengers, man. Uh those books I mean, hey, if you don't like Hickman, you're not gonna like these books. But if you do, if you're like me or or Jim or, or I think you guys both like Hickman or Bill McGonnell, sure. you were gonna love this. The alternate realities, the huge concepts involved, um both books are fantastic in their own different ways and uh I, I am loving them. And Hickman did an AMA and, and asked me anything on uh, Reddit. Uh, half I think it was March seventeenth, actually. Uh, so I got to ask him a few questions, get a few answers, and even get told off once. But I deserved it, um, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, that he is a really interesting guy to read his answers and how he processes things. Um, so if you Google that uh, Jonathan Hickman AMA on Reddit, um, it's a really fascinating read, and you'll see me on there, uh, Jordan from Jersey. So hey, it was fun. I don't. Maybe we'll switch over to TV quickly because I don't have a better segue. <laughs> um, hey, you know how comics don't move? <laughs> I like things that move. What do you guys think about television? And I haven't watched anything, which makes it even stranger. But I guess um, one thing I was excited to hear about, I guess on the heels of House of Cards doing so well on Netflix, uh, the Zombieland show has been signed. Uh, for Netflix, I guess they've at least are going with a pilot. For that's Amazon. how I understand yeah. it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah and they will uh, take it from there. I mean, that's pretty cool. Even if, even if it's not the best idea for a regular show, 
and maybe it's trying to cash in on some of the Walking Dead success. I think the exciting part is that they're just trying more of these exclusive content shows for, you know, Netflix. And I think Amazon's been thrown around. The name has been thrown around. What did I hear is coming to Amazon, possibly? That Wachowski's show? No, that's Netflix. Yeah. That's Netflix as well? Wow. So there's uh, Netflix. Well, the, the Zombieland is Amazon. Oh, okay. So I have it backwards. Okay. Still exciting. Yeah. It's, I think my understanding of the Amazon thing is they're commissioning, I think, six pilots, and Zombieland is one, and then people are going to vote as to what they think... Um, what they what they want to see, and then depending on how that goes, that's what'll get actually greenlit into a certain number of episodes. That's cool. I'm all for the uh, you know exclusive stuff on these streaming services. If we're gonna pay, you know, for old TV shows and movies and stuff, it's it's nice to get some brand spanking new uh, special stuff. And Hemlock Grove, that's the next truly original Netflix series, is going to premiere on April 13th, and it's uh, backed by Eli Roth. And so, it has a really creepy teaser image. I know nothing about it except for that, but the teaser image alone is enough to make me interested. And it's got Famke Jansen on it, who was uh, Jean Grey in X-Men movies and the upcoming The Wolverine. So, it, yeah, again, this is going to be another one of those like House of Cards. On April 13th, all 13 episodes are going to show up on Netflix, and you can watch at your leisure. That's cool. And, I mean, besides that, we have uh, the big Walking Dead finale coming up, which we'll talk plenty about on uh, Walking Dead TV. And, of course, Game of Thrones kicks in, and Doctor Who returns, and... Mad Men's coming back? Mm-hmm. Mad Men, uh, pretty soon, the final half season of Breaking Bad. Now that is more. Is that closer to the summer, or do I have my dates? Uh, I, I think up? that'll be after Mad Men ends. So it'll be thirteen or so episodes of Mad Men, and then wherever that ends up, they'll probably do two episodes for the beginning and two episodes for the end with Mad Men, and then the following eight weeks, most likely, if they don't take a week off, will be uh, the last episodes of Breaking Bad ever. Yeah, I'm too. I'm I'm kind of with you, John. I'm behind on my TV as well. I've got a bunch of. Episodes of the Americans and Justified piled up on the DVR that I haven't watched yet. The part of it is I've been busy, and the other part is I've been watching like a madman, The Shield on Amazon. So Amazon Instant Prime or Amazon Prime Instant Video has The Shield, and I I think I talked about this last time, but I watched the first four ish seasons when it first came on, and then I trailed off. And uh, so I, I just decided, okay, I'm going to go back and since it's been almost 10 years now, I'm going to go back and start from the beginning and rewatch it. And I was telling John before we started recording, I was like, this may be, if if not if not my favorite TV show of all time turning into, then it's definitely one of them. It's it's really just a phenomenal series of, you know, the journey that these characters have taken and. Uh, you know the ups and the downs and and the crazy situations and how they get in and out of trouble and all of the things going on it's it's really really good and Walton Goggins who is on Justified um and he's you know been in you know just just tons of stuff i mean he he turns up he's in predators and he just turns up kind of randomly in in different Django things Django Unchained 
Yeah, Chango Chained. He was in uh, G.I. Joe Retaliation, as a matter of fact, which I think we'll touch on a little bit. But uh, his performance in the series is just outstanding. Him and Michael Chiklis both are just it's just really, really top-notch acting between the two of them. And to see that, you know, the journey that their relationship takes over these seven seasons is is pretty remarkable. I recently picked up the first season of HBO's Girls, um, I had seen the movie Tiny Furniture. I don't know if it's still on Netflix Instant. It used to be. And I really liked it. It was a really... I mean, it was a comedy, but it was very depressing in a cathartic way. Um, so I, I I enjoyed it, despite the fact it made me want to kill myself. And so I was thinking, you know, it's the same writer, director, star, a lot of the same supporting cast, a different story. Um, you know, I should give it a shot. I hear good things. I hear good things. So I picked up season one uh, on DVD. Blew through it in like uh, a night and a half. I think it's ten episodes. Like, the, so I blew through it really fast. Uh, absolutely enjoyed it. I'm now about halfway through season two, and uh, excited for season three as well because it is just, uh, it's not my normal thing at all, but it's really funny in an awkward sort of way, but just really funny. Yeah, I've heard good things about that, or at least I've heard a lot of people talking about that. Certainly has some popularity right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think won a couple Emmys, I'm pretty sure. Or it was at least nominated for a bunch. I think it was, the first season was nominated for five, won one, and I'm not sure about the second season. And and well-deserved. It's a Judd Apatow co-production, um, and you can kind of get that feel in there. A lot of, you know, supporting cast that you've seen in other things he's done show up. Um, a lot of medium to big actors showing up in small parts for an episode here or there. Um, it's pretty cool to see all, all the different people they brought in for the project. Not for families, though, by the way. It, it is very <laughs> HBO. <laughs> and I don't think I'm watching any other TV at the moment. I mean, I'm catching up on just my normal stuff, but uh, nothing particularly standing out at the moment. Rusty, you want to talk about G.I. Joe retaliation as we smoothly segue into movies? Yeah. <laughs> You know so, what else moves a lot like television, but bigger? <laughs> movies. So I went and saw G.I. Joe Retaliation today in 3D. Not the IMAX 3D, but just regular 3D. And I will say, for me personally, it was mildly better than the first one. Um, I think the action and the stunts and some of the fighting and and things were better in this one. Uh, I think adding The Rock is a definite plus uh, overall, I think for the most part, I think Bruce Willis kind of phoned this one in. You know, he didn't have a huge role in the movie, so his his level of participation wasn't uh, wasn't that fantastic. I think he was just there to say, "Hey, we got Bruce Willis, isn't that cool?" Um, but I think I think the first one was more fun. Like I think they did some crazy, big, wild stuff in that one. Um, but this one was a little tighter. Uh, it was a little. Uh, it was a, for a while. It was almost like two movies. You had what was going on with the main, like the Rock and his team, and what was going on with Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes as a separate item. Uh, so that kind of helped, you know, move things along. You didn't feel like it was really dragging in any in any one spot. It didn't. It didn't feel like it was a. Like I said, I wasn't looking at my watch bored in, at any point. But it just uh, there was some stuff in there. I, I was telling John that it's just just from a concept standpoint, were just completely and utterly preposterous. I mean, I, I definitely went into this to turn my brain off, but there was some stuff I was like, 
okay, that makes no sense whatsoever. And it's just, it's like the logic is just completely out the window. Um, but you know, it's, it's, you know, good fun action movie. Uh, I, I think if anybody's not really dying to see it or isn't a huge fan of the first one, you know, wait till, you know, wait till it comes on, you know, either Netflix it or rent it or, you know, pick it up on Blu-ray or something like that. Uh, I, I, I can't say it's really, really worth, you know, going out and spending 10 bucks on at at the theater. Uh, the 3d, some of it worked really, really well. And some of it was a little annoying. Uh, it seemed like things, it, it suffered from the, uh, heavy action sequence stuff in 3d feeling, um, not very fluid and smooth. You know, you kind of got that like stair step um, feeling when you're watching it. Uh, the scenes with, with Snake Eyes in the, uh, you know, we've seen it in the trailer where they're fighting off the cliff and swinging around everywhere. Uh, the 3D worked very, very well in those scenes. I mean, some of the probably some of the best 3D I've seen. It's, it's very good. There's a scene where the characters are kind of standing on this huge ledge overlooking and they jump off the ledge because they're, they're, they're kind of attached by these cables. And it was really kind of creepy watching it with 3d because the depth was really there uh, and it, and it played off very well. Um, but you know, other than that, it was just kind of, like I said, it was just kind of, kind of weird and different. Um, I, I prefer uh, Rachel Nichols over Adrian Pilecki, N- nothing against her. She's a nice looking woman, but uh, I think, I think Rachel Nichols Scarlet was better than uh, Adrian Pilecki's lady J. <laughs> And really, the only recurring role is Duke, correct? I mean, well, Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes, but right, right. It's in terms of the other Joes, they they sort of introduced a, a new batch for this yep. one. Yep. Oh, so it's like Gremlins too, <laughs> right? Yeah, the new batch. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Price comes back as the president slash Zartan. Uh, you know, so they 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 kept that angle going, and we got to see Arnold Vosloo extremely briefly uh he didn't even speak so uh you know they went in a completely different direction with uh with cobra commander which i think was actually better i think they should have done that in the first one trying to throw Gors- uh, joseph gordon levitt as cobra commander and you know pulling that whole relationship between him and duke from the first one i i just thought was really really forced uh and didn't didn't come across right but uh but yeah i mean you know like i said it was it was okay and no Baroness and no Destro. Correct? No, it, well, it's it's funny because I mean I won't spoil it, but Destro is they make reference to Destro in the beginning. We technically see Destro, but we don't see Destro, uh, and then they kind of move on from there. They basically acknowledge the fact that yeah, he's he's out, uh, and then they'll go on from there. So I'm sure if there is a third movie, that that's going to be the huge bone of contention is. Uh, is Death is Destro coming back, feeling slighted from this movie? <laughs> I have to backtrack a little bit, I guess. Uh, I recently had a birthday, and uh, my family was extremely generous. They wanted to throw me a party, which I rebuked, rebutted, rebutted. Either I didn't way. want a party, and um, so anyway, so I got a 3D television, uh, which was really cool, and I got The Hobbit in 3D. For my home viewing pleasure, and I had not seen The Hobbit in theaters. Uh, Russ, I know you saw it. Did you see The Hobbit, Jordan, or is that not your? Uh, uh, I, I know you're not, not really a fantasy guy. The right, only okay. reason I would have seen it would be to check out the 48 frames per second. Otherwise, I have zero interest. 
Yeah, it was uh, it was really good. I don't remember the Hobbit book very well. I know that I read it at some point in my life, probably in like the ninth grade or so. I'm sure it's relatively close to the to the novel. I thought the effects were excellent. Um, the 3D at home is getting very good. Now, I know the 3D in general for The Hobbit was considered to be really good, right? Is that accurate, Russ? Did you... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would have liked to have seen it. Well, I didn't think they even had a presentation that was in 3D without the high frame rate. I think you, when you got one, you got the other, but... I would have uh, I would have liked to seen it in 3D without high frame rate because I think the high frame rate distracted me. But yes, in general, it was good and it was fluid, which you know, again, kind of like with GI Joe, that that's been my complaint with 3D and heavy action scenes. Uh, the fluidity is kind of lost, and and this was very excellent when it came to that. Yeah, and there are parts of the Hobbit uh, in the second half where they're escape escaping from the Goblin Underground. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Where it's breakneck speed and they're just jumping. It's almost like it, it becomes almost like a video game at that point, right? They're kind of like platform jumping yeah. and yeah. things are falling and they're getting chased. And most of the and Bilbo gets a fire flower, which was really weird, right? And and most of the goblins and the dwarves and and everybody are are CGI. I would I would say at points in that chase. Um, and that came off really well in the 3D. At one point in the beginning, when I think all of the dwarves are showing up for uh, the meeting at at, uh, at the Hobbit's house, I actually looked over my shoulder quickly. Like, the 3D effect had me feeling like somebody was standing next to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, know that, I know that sounds ridiculous, and I might have been dozing off. But, but I definitely it, it had great depth for, you know, for home viewing, which I thought was excellent. I, I think it's coming along. I don't know if it's ever gonna really like hit stride and take off and be like, you know, the number one format for everything. Uh, but it's definitely getting better. And one thing I noticed because I always check is it it wasn't any darker, which. You know, if anybody has watched something in 3D and kind of like lower the glasses to check, you'll always notice that you're losing a little bit of the brightness of the picture. Yeah. Uh, the Hobbit maintained it really well. So, you know, I think that stuff's coming along and, and I was, I didn't even really particularly want a 3D television, uh, but now like I'm pretty happy with it and I'm kind of going back and checking out things that I never saw in 3D. Uh, which is cool, and I'm looking forward to the Marvel Phase 1 set that's coming out because I haven't seen any of the Marvel movies in 3D. I skipped, the, you know, I, I just saw them all in the theater in regular uh, viewing, so that should be interesting. And, oh, I've picked up a film. I've also been tinkering with a region-free Blu-ray player, so don't laugh. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that we don't get in the United States that I wanted to see. So anyway, uh, I picked up Lady Snowblood, which is a 1970s sort of female samurai film. I know there's no chance Jordan has seen it. Uh, Russ, have you <laughs> no. have you ever seen it or heard of it? You probably heard of it. I've I've heard of it, but I have not seen it. Okay, well, Jordan, the reason why you care about Lady Snowblood 
is uh, most of Kill Bill is taken from Lady Snowblood. Oh, okay. Then I think I have heard of it before, probably. Yeah. This is the, like, you know, every Tarantino film is like an homage to some other film um, to some extent. Right. Or, or an amalgamation of them. Right. Uh, well, Kill Bill is Lady Snowblood to a certain extent. It's a female samurai assassin who has a list of people that were responsible for the death of her mother, and she's going to go and kill everyone on the list. And it's not linear. Uh, there are chapters. Uh, there's a scene in the snow, very much uh, the one scene with Lucy Liu sort of in the snow, and the, the blood is very red against the white snow in the moonlight. You know the scene I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Oh, any yeah, that taken right from Lady Snowblood. Uh, there's a scene where the Viper assassination squad is looking down at the bride after they beat the crap out of her in the uh, chapel. I don't know if you guys can picture the scene. It's yep. kind of oh, like absolutely. You, right, it's, you're, right. You have the perspective of the bride looking up at the killers. Mm-hmm. You know, right, flat out of Lady Snowblood, like same shot. Um, so it was very. It's first of all, it's a kick-ass film, and it it, it falls in that area of like rid- awesome and ridiculous. Like this is a full blood splatter. Uh, you know, if you've seen Kill Bill and you know what he tries to do when when the bride cuts a limb off, it sprays blood <laughs> all over the frame for a minute, you know, <laughs> and that's what was happening in Lady Snowblood. But, you know, th- it was much more cutting edge at the time and and it was meant to be a serious tone, not sort of a, a take off on anything else. But so really good film and definitely worth checking out just if you're into Tarantino like we are being able to go back and see the things that influenced him and and led him to make some of the movies that he made is is very interesting to me. So how does it look? That, How, what's the quality of the of the actual transfer and stuff? Is it pretty good? Yes, it's it's pretty good to very good. It's not on the level of, you know, The Godfather in Blu-ray where it looks like a brand new movie. Sure. Um, but it kind of has a little bit of charm keeping the grain and stuff, you know. Uh, but it looks very good for a, for a film made in 1970. It's too bad we can't get all of this stuff in uh, region free or, or in the United States. But I guess there's just a bigger market for it in other places. Um, so they sell enough copies of it there and that's what they stick to. And there's also a Lady Snowblood 2 that came in the set, which is awesome. I'll be checking that out next but uh, so very cool. It's available on DVD. I think that Animigo who put out the um, Shogun Assassin stuff recently, they have a DVD version of it out. So like, I don't know if you could get it on Netflix or if you'd have to like purchase the DVD. Um, but definitely worth checking out. If you're a martial arts fan, you like kung fu movies and stuff like that, definitely check it out. And if you're a Tarantino fan, worth seeking out just to see again what he pulled from it. Um, which was really awesome. Cool. Oh, speaking of uh, Kill Bill and even things like um, The Man with the Iron Fist, uh, the RZA shows up in uh, G.I. Joe Retaliation, and it really continues my thinking that uh, 
his acting chops really aren't all that great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, heard it's, uh, that he yeah. should really stick to the music. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like his directorial debut is so awesome that he shouldn't be concentrating on that either. You know, like, yeah, I mean, let's just stay behind the camera, hone that craft a little longer. Yeah, for, for sure. For sure. Well, Jumping off Man with the Iron Fist, if I remember correctly, uh, Georgia Saint something. George St. Pierre. Pierre Pierre was in that movie, and now he's going to be Patrick the Leaper in uh, Cap 2. Close. No, Batista. no cigar. Yeah. (laughs) Batista is in that movie who will be in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Gotcha. I'm getting my bald wrestlers confused in my Marvel movies. Yes. And uh, GSP, as he is known in the fighting circles, is actually a real fighter that really beats people up, while Bautista is a pro wrestler. Right. No, I, I understand the difference, yeah. but I'm just... I no, don't. I didn't know if you knew uh, St. Pierre was an, a uh, a UFC guy rather than a, a wrestler. Only I guess... because I read it in articles. Right. But uh, yeah, so lots of uh, casting news there uh, for the Marvel movies. And I guess we can probably talk some trailers, because there's a lot of cool movies coming out this summer that have really excellent trailers. Uh, Star Trek Into Darkness just put out a new one. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is a beast. Uh, he is <laughs> awesome in this new trailer. I will walk on your cold corpses. All that. Uh, the new Wolverine trailer just came out. Two versions of that. Kick-Ass 2 trailers are out. Where do you want to start? <laughs> I'm really stoked about this. The Wolverine. After seeing the trailer, I... I've been curious to see exactly how they're going to go about it. And then watching the trailer and, and seeing what's going on, it seems like it's going to be very loosely based on the Miller Claremont story. And by very loosely, I mean very loosely. But I like what I've seen so far. I mean, I think they're playing around with um, his mortality. I think that, you know, the part of the, the concept is him either losing his healing factor or, you know, which basically you know, remove his X gene for the most part, which is something they haven't done, surprisingly enough. They really haven't done in the other movies. You know, they haven't really focused on him not being able to heal or or that aspect of him. So I think that's kind of cool that they've, uh, it appears they've gone that way. Uh, but, you know, just, I mean, there's just, there was a lot of really cool scenes with uh, him squaring off against, you know, 40 ninjas that are standing against him. I know there was a scene where he had like his claws out in one hand and a sword in the other hand, and uh, so I, I'm really so far impressed with what I've what I've seen with that. And it looks much more, uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for, more focused than Wolverine. The yeah, origins, I think so. It, yeah, you know, it looks to be. I mean, granted, we only saw two versions of the same trailer, but it looks like a minimal number of locations, probably a much smaller number of characters, a much more focus story than than the last one. Although, of course, there are flashbacks to World War II, but that that seems to to be in direct service of the main plot. I wonder if this will uh, cover his training as a samurai. It doesn't seem like that's where it's going. Well, if he's using a sword, probably... Maybe I don't. I don't know. It it seems like the the premise is going to be he was in some sort of POW camp or something like that in World War II, and then when Hiroshima or Nagasaki when the bomb went off, he protected 
uh, Yoshida, and you know he of course went on to become this powerful crime lord, you know businessman, whatever, and you know they 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 bring Logan in for that. So it seems like it's almost seems like it's more victim of circumstance. Like he may learn that aspect of himself because his powers are failing him. But yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued. We've also got uh, new Iron Man 3 trailers keep showing up, new commercials. Uh, it looks better every time I see more stuff from it. Yeah, I might have to go media blackout soon on Iron Man yeah, 3. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's really cool. I've got it pulled up. They've uh, they started releasing the last trailer, um, if you haven't seen it. At the very end, we see you know 30-some-odd armors show up as the cavalry <laughs> for Rhodey and, and Tony since they're kind of out of their armor at, at one point. The Iron Legion, I think they're calling them. Yeah, so there's been a lot of uh, speculation and, you know, freezing of frames and whatnot, and uh, they've started to kind of dribble those out a little bit. So we've kind of got... Uh, I'll just kind of run through them real quick. There's the Mark 17, which is very similar to the to the Mark 42 that they're showing in the... In the trailers a lot, a lot. It's the artillery level RT suit called Heartbreaker. They all have little code names, which I think is cool. Uh, the Mark Thirty Three, which may be my favorite, is the enhanced energy suit, and it's called the Silver Centurion, which uh, definitely has a nod back to that '80s suit that that uh, that they had, which, which was instead of being golden red, it was uh, it was silver and red. So that was kind of cool. They've got a Mark Thirty Five, which is a disaster rescue suit called Red Snapper. And it's it's very it's very similar to the uh, standard suits, except it's got like these huge arms on it and and a lot more padding. Uh, the Mark Thirty Eight, which I think a lot of people have dubbed the Hulkbuster, um, <laughs> it's called the heavy the heavy lifting suit, and it's called Igor, which is a nice little it's nod. Blue, yeah, it's blue. Um, the Mark Thirty Nine, which I think started a lot of speculation as to uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy tie-in, but it's the suborbital suit called Gemini. And it's white and gray with some gold on it. It actually looks pretty cool. It looks a lot like, um, oh, I forget their name now, the Cerberus armor from Mass Effect 3 and Mass Effect 2. A really cool look. Yeah. I, I think my favorite, though, is the next one you're going to say. Yeah, the Mark 40. I was just going to say, I think this is your favorite, Jay. It's called the Hypervelocity Suit, codenamed Shotgun. And uh, it's, it's very much similar to the Mark 2 suit, where it's uh, a lot of silver and gray... Um, almost kind of like a, a snout uh, for for where the you know the mouth the nose mouthpiece comes down, um, and these are all kind of cool because all the chest pieces, the uh, the arc reactor pieces are are different shapes. You know they're either uh, triangular or circular or um, oval or square, um, etc. So I'm sure as time goes on, we will see these dribble out even more. But uh, but some really cool looking stuff, um, and it, it is kind of cool because I'm. I have a feeling in the movie we're gonna b- probably barely get a glimpse at most of these. So seeing these little one sheets or whatever that that give us a little close up and and give them some name and some purpose, I think is really really cool. Yeah. Then there was the news that came out today that China is gonna get a supersized cut of the movie, um, with a lot more uh, Chinese scenery and uh, some even some extra scenes with Chinese actors who won't even be in the uh, the rest of the world's cut. Um, which kind of makes sense. I mean, it, it was a co-production uh, with uh, either I'm not sure if it was the Chinese government or the, some Chinese companies, but so they, they get same thing. They get to, yeah, true. <laughs> they get to uh, they get their own version of the movie, which is it's not like 
you know, you generally would think of with a uh, Chinese cut where it might be, you know, really censored. This is, from what it sounds like, more of, of what you like in the movie. It's But it's specifically for Chinese audiences, kind of like what they did with Looper. Um, they got a big grant from China to move some of the scenes to be set in China where they were originally going to be set in France. Here, you have a whole bunch of stuff set in China, so they just filmed even more stuff just for them. Which hopefully we'll get a U.S. release on the DVD or something like that, so we can see all the extra stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm sure it will. A region-free Blu-ray player would really come in handy. <laughs> <laughs> I am jazzed uh, very much so for Pacific Rim, which we keep getting like little still shots and artwork and stuff like that for. Um, I don't know when a real trailer is planned for I that. I think a real trailer's but... out already. Yeah, yeah, so? yeah, it, came, yeah, yeah. it had the voice of Gladys in it from Portal. Remember that yeah. whole thing? Damn. It came out like three months ago. Oh, that. Okay. I guess I was looking for something more. That was more of a teaser. But, yes, yes. Now we have teasers. We have trailers for trailers. Like Wolverine, I think they had a little. Uh, I think yeah, it they was were... a, a six-second teaser for the trailer that comes out, and then they kept releasing a... like five more seconds every day. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it was just pretty ridiculous. Yeah. What did you guys think of the most recent Star Trek Into Darkness trailer? Because I've already made it clear I loved it, but we kind of oh man, it. I, more I see of that of that thing, the the more I like. I'm, I'm kind of like with John though. I'm getting in that zone where I really. I'll probably stop looking at stuff because I, I, I want to be somewhat surprised when I go to see it. I don't want everything revealed, so uh, I, I might start uh, going blackout a little bit on on some of this stuff. I think I've only seen the first Star Trek, uh, the Abrams version. I think I've only seen it one time. I'm going to have to rewatch and... and uh get jazzed for this one it does look great star trek's generally not my thing but i know this new reboot is like nothing like what i'm thinking in my head is star trek there'll be a lot less whales yeah (laughs) and that was one i saw the 3d trailer for that um when i saw uh gi joe today and it the 3d and at least in the trailer part looked looked pretty good so i'm sometimes i'm a little more open to go seeing 3d if i'm if it's just me like my wife is not going to go see star trek my kids aren't going to go see star trek so that's pretty much like one i'm flying solo on and that being the case i might spring for the 3d just because i'm only having to buy one ticket and not like four so i i might i might dive into to that knowing knowing jj abrams and knowing the kind of the quality and the style that he puts on his movies, I, I think it'll be done right. So I might, I might bite on that one. And uh, I think the only other big trailer I can think of off the top of my head, although I'm sure you guys have others, is uh, Kick-Ass 2, which looked like more Kick-Ass, looked fun. Yeah. I like Jim Carrey uh, with, his, uh, with his Brooklyn, or I guess more Long Island accent. John, you can give us more of a detailed critique of his use of New York dialect, but uh, it looked fun. Yeah, I actually really like the way Jim Carrey's playing it. You know, it's not too over the top Jim Carrey like the yes. mask or anything. Yes. But, uh... and, and that's what it's funny because when you hear Jim Carrey cast in something, that's the first thing you think of is it's going to be crazy over the top. And I, I think this character is going to be over the top in a much different way, but not a Jim Carrey flamboyant over the top way. So, Which was kind of the same with the first one with Nicolas Cage, if you think about it. 
Yeah, I, I guess mean, so. They're yeah. over the top in their own very separate ways, but you know, um, they, they they definitely pulled off reigning in Nicolas Cage to a acceptable level of crazy. Hopefully, they can do the same with Carrie. I'm, I'm waiting to see. Uh, they've they've shown a, a good number of of, of bits, and in the, in the, I guess there's two different Red Band trailers out right now. I think one might be international, and the other one is the. US version. Yeah, one came out like two days ago. It's international and it all focuses on Hit Girl pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, we have yet to get a look at Mother Russia. Uh, she's in the background which... of a couple scenes, but nothing. nothing okay, I'll have to look not closer, but. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I think that's going to be uh, a big reveal, sort of. Or a big deal, anyway, for somebody that hasn't read the book. It's a pretty cool concept. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I I can't remember where I said this before, but I think this one may play better as a movie than Kick-Ass Two played as a book. Um, I wasn't real big. I love the Hit Girl mini, but I wasn't really high on Kick-Ass Two, the book itself. And this movie is really a, a blending of both of those stories uh, in in one. So I'll be curious to see how it uh, how it turns out. It's funny how, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about it, like we've talked about it with Walt from Lost and we've talked about it with Carl from The Walking Dead. Uh, the actor who plays Dave, uh, Aaron he's Johnson? like suddenly, yeah, he's like suddenly a grown-ass man. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you know, I don't know how many years it's been since the original has come out. I guess he's gone from like age... I don't know what he was at the original, like 16 to 19, or is he older than that and he just looked younger for the first one? I don't know, but yeah, I he's think... certainly beefed up and his jaws like real and stuff, and it's a totally different person. Did you see him in, uh, he was in The Savages. Oh, wow. Yeah. That just blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah, that's a totally different role. Yeah, I get it now, yeah. And he was, yeah, I mean, it's just like the little kid that grew up, you know. He's 23 right oh, now. Okay, so he was he was at least 20 when the first one. Uh... Yeah, so Kick-Ass was, two, was three years ago. So, yeah, he was like right at 20 years old when that, when that hit. And he's going to be in the upcoming Godzilla movie that's, that's filming, the uh, Gareth Edwards Godzilla movie. Sweet. So I guess before we run super long, we should hit on some uh, video game action. <laughs> yes, indeed. Jordan, why don't you start with uh, your infinite love for Bioshock Infinite? <laughs> so yeah, Bioshock Infinite came out uh, on Tuesday of last week, and uh, I pulled my first all-nighter in a while to beat it, and did not regret so at all, except for the fact that I was extremely tired, but it was certainly worth it as a game. I'm currently playing through it again on 1999 mode, which is the super hardcore mode, and for anyone who follows what achievements it has, I'm doing the scavenger achievement as well, so not buying anything from vending machines and just scavenging stuff throughout the world. So it is a pain. It is really, really hard, but um, the story's amazing. Um, like you've probably seen in other reviews, there is a twist, because it's a Bioshock game. You probably will not see it coming. I saw part of it coming, and then I thought it was wrong, and then it turned out I was right in the end. But you will not see all of it coming, because the last ten minutes of this game are bonkers um, in, in the best possible way. Um, I would say in terms of some of the plot and sci-fi themes explored, if you are a fan of Fringe, you will really enjoy this game. If you are a fan of The Unwritten, you will really enjoy this game. 
Um, if you're a fan of Bioshock, you're definitely going to enjoy this game, Bioshock 1 or 2. It's, uh, for, for anyone who doesn't know, you play Booker DeWitt, who is, uh, I believe he's 37 or 38. He was a army, uh, I guess he was in the army, but he was, he was in the military. He was there for Wounded Knee, and after Wounded Knee, um, which, kids, if you don't know what that is, Google it, um, he got out of the military. He couldn't stand to be involved with it anymore, and he became an alcoholic. He, you know, became a gambler, and he just pretty much pissed the rest of his life away until he was approached to, in, in an attempt to clear his gambling debt, saying, hey, you're an ex-Pinkerton, you, you know, were involved with Wounded Knee, you've got a lot of experience, we need you to go to uh, this place called Columbia and rescue this girl for us. So we need you to go get her, bring her back, that'll wipe away your debt. So you are transported, uh, similar to the original Bioshock, where you're transported from a lighthouse down under the sea, here you're transported from a lighthouse up into the sky to the floating city of Columbia, which is obviously completely fictional, but it's based on the Great White City um, from the Chicago World's Fair in nineteen or 1893, I believe, if I remember correctly. I did do some historical research after playing the game, because there's, there's a lot of stuff to go over, um, as, as you can tell from a game that involves Pinkertons and Wounded Knee quite heavily in the themes. But, so you go to this floating city in the clouds that is at first seems idyllic seems like a paradise um, very old fashioned until you start to see that it's a great place to live if you are a white uh, upper class English speaking person who is not Irish if you are Irish if you're black if you are anything else this is not a place you want to be um, it is a very the city is a commentary on the Gilded Age, it's a commentary on jingoism and on uh, American exceptionalism, um, and lots of other fun topics to research that are really depressing, but um, you go there to rescue this girl, who it turns out, and you've seen this in the trailers most likely, has the ability to open things called tears, which are tears in the space-time continuum basically to other universes, so in battle... Um, or even in the whole game, basically, it's an escort mission, but it's not an escort mission like you've ever played. You're pretty much the one being escorted. She d needs no help from you. She will never get in the way. She's never going to die. She's never going to um, become a pain. In fact, she throws you ammo and health packs and mana and uh, money all throughout the game when you most need it. You're about to die. She'll throw you a health pack. and so. She, but she can also open these tears, so hey, you enter this battle arena, you know, not, not an arena proper, but you enter this large space where there's a battle being fought, and, hey, I can teleport in a gun turret here or some cover over here or um, health packs over here from an alternate universe. So you are using her in battle to help you fight the various people of Columbia who do not want her to leave uh, for various reasons that I won't get into because of spoilers, but it's a fantastic game. It will suck you in story-wise. I took my time, even pulling an all-nighter, scour scouring every corner of the city I could find to find more bits of story, to find out more of what was going on, the history of this city, the history of its people, um, uh, and, and how it tied in with the themes and, and, and real-life history, like I said, with the Pinkertons and Wounded Knee and stuff like that. Um, and and the, the, the Boxer Rebellion is heavily featured in a few parts as well. That's very important to the story. And, and like I said, without spoiling, it's hard to get into anything past that. But it's a first-person shooter, it is gorgeous, it is absolutely fantastic, and uh, it will give you a lot to think about when you're done playing this game, and most likely, if you're 
as big a fan of it as I was, you will also start playing it again just to relive the experience and see how everything fits together once you know how it all ends up. And so far, I'm about halfway through my second playthrough. Everything lines up, and it's it's even better now knowing what was really going on to go through and, and see how it all fits together. Is it open world? It's No, it's there are sections that are somewhat open world. For instance, you might come to this one place where I just left in my second playthrough that's very similar. It's, it's even modeled kind of on 1912 Atlantic City Boardwalk. Um, so it's kind of a fairground. There's different shops, ice cream shops and all that stuff. So you have several city blocks, floating city blocks that are floating independently. Um, and you can use these things called skylines, which are like um, uh, roller coaster tracks almost to go between them. You you hold on with this hook in your hand or on your hand. It's not in your hand. And you can fly around and fight from it, and it works amazingly. But you use this to go between different places. They're all floating independently. You can choose where you want to go. There is a a destination you're supposed to get to, and if you hit up on your D-pad, it'll tell you where to go, unless you're playing 1999 mode, which is uh, where it disables that. But I pretty much used it to find out which way I was supposed to go, so I could go every other direction just to explore this world and, and, and draw it in. Um, so, I mean, you do have options, but it's much more about the story and um, you, you you need to go from point A to point B. How you get there is up to you, but it is a um, a funnel directed, mostly linear narrative, mostly linear gameplay wise um, and not to its detriment. I mean, it really helps keep the game focused and helps you experience it in a way that's going to be really meaningful. Very good. So worth the wait and lived up to the hype oh yes i i bought the 80 dollars version which had some extras and uh, i don't regret a single cent of that purchase it is fantastic and i know jim loved it as well he <laughs> unfortunately couldn't be here with us tonight to talk about it he hasn't finished it yet but uh, i would say probably keep a look at it on the feed if at some point it might be tacked on to the end of another episode or something jim and i'll give a detailed spoiler filled breakdown of the themes and everything that was going on and how much we loved it and pat ourselves on the back for playing it and that kind of stuff it'll be fun and they do DLC for uh, these games, correct? Or have they announced anything like that? Or was there a season pass available or anything like that? There is a season pass available uh, where you get three packs of DLC for the price of two. I don't know how it's going to play on in on the story because there is a very definite ending, um, again, without spoiling it. But there are many ideas floating around Reddit for what it could be that would fit within how the game ended. Um, there's a lot of characters that you kind of hear from, because just like in the original Bioshock, there's little audio recordings, like audio diaries you can pick up and listen to. Some characters you never see in the game, but that are very important to the world, which you might explore their stories, you might explore um, maybe the game from the villain's point of view is one idea I've seen, which would be pretty cool, or just different sections of the city. Again, it's really hard to say without spoiling it, but there are definitely ways wherein they could fit DLC into this story, but it would not be in the main narrative. Right. And that's not to its detriment. <laughs> Again, I, I know it's, I'm talking very cryptically, but uh, it, it could work, and it would work, but I can't say how or why until Jim and I get to have our long spoiler-filled discussion. Gotcha. Interesting. What video games have you guys been playing? Well... I'll start with Gears of War Judgment. I have a lot less to say about it, only because uh, it's pretty much Gears of War 3.5. Much like some of the other franchises that I enjoy, like Call of Duty, it's the same game. If you love the game, you will love the new one. 
Uh, if you never liked the Gears of War games, then don't buy this one. Uh, they did do some nice little things to jazz it up a bit. In the campaign mode, every level that you begin, it's not really a level. It's like after a checkpoint and after a cutscene. When you get to the next section, uh, there'll be a Gears of War spray-painted logo on the wall. And you walk up to it and you hit the button. And what it is is an extra challenge. And it'll say, uh, they weave it into the story. It's kind of like a hidden files type of thing. And it'll be like, uh, so-and-so said that the, because, uh, I'm sorry, I should say that the game is, it's all a retelling of a story that has already happened. The Gears are on trial, and they're, tell- they're telling their story of what happened, and that's your gameplay, their narrative. Um, so anyway, so these little, there are these little bonuses to each section where you can say, uh, listen, uh, it was said that there was really bad fog during this battle. You want to turn on that fog? <laughs> and if you play in that mode, you get extra points. Uh, a star system has been brought in. So you can, you can accumulate extra stars if you complete the level in the fog rather than just in the normal uh, situation. Or it might be, uh, you know, it, it just turns it up a notch. It, it adds like a level of hardness for more... Uh, achievements to each level. So that was that was a cool little twist. They added a mode in uh, multiplayer where you're a team of four, but now you're not all the same character uh, in terms of abilities. There's a an engineer who can fix the turrets and the electric wire fences and, and defenses that you put up between waves. Uh, there are soldiers who have the best guns and the, and the best, uh, you know, fighting ability. And then there's the medic. It makes it sort of like Team Fortress, uh, which I know a lot of people are familiar with, where you have different abilities that help you in the battle. So they added that into the multiplayer. I mean, I'm just having a lot of fun with it. I, I, I love Gears of War. I love the combat and the, you know, the uh, the duck and cover system. I Chainsawing enemies never gets old. You know, it's the best headshot in the game, as they say on the back of the box. Uh, It's just got probably the most fun combat of any, the most satisfying combat of all of the different shooters that I play year in and year out. Um, I await for Rust to get it so we can feebly attempt some uh, horde modes, which always goes badly. And... uh, but it it is a lot of fun, and now with the four-player co-op type stuff, that can be a lot of fun. And they've added AI helpers. So this time, when it's only Russ and I, because we don't have two other friends that play, uh, the computer will add two friends for us that will probably trip over and get in the way and curse most of the <laughs> level. But yeah, fun hope, nonetheless. So Hopefully in the next couple of weeks I'll be able to pick it up this uh Marvel Phase 1 suitcase box set thing has co- totally uh, screwed up my budget for, for a little bit here. Yeah. Yeah, that was a that's a big investment. Secondly, uh, which I got earlier than Gears of War, I've been playing the Tomb Raider reboot. The Tomb Raider reboot is awesome. Uh, it's brutal. I, I've never seen... I haven't seen... A character in a video game be this brutalized in I, I can't even tell you 
the every time you fall, you know, they show you her banging off the sides of cliffs and landing on rocks and you just hear like crunching of bones and she progressively I say she, Lara Croft, of course, uh she progressively gets dirtier and bloodier as you go through uh the different levels. She gets impaled and it's not only like you're impaled, fade out. It's like you're impaled and she squirms for like a few seconds before the game is officially over. It's survival horror, you know, jungle stuff, survival horror. Totally works. Better survival horror than like the last couple of Resident Evil games. The combat is really satisfying. There's a lot of bow work, which is really cool. And she'll eventually find, you know, pistols and... And shotguns and things like that. Um, it's not totally open world. Jordan, it actually sounds like what you were describing with, with Bioshock. It's like there are narrow linear paths that get you from station to station. But then within that station, you're sort of open world. Yeah, um, which which is very similar to a lot of Bioshock Infinite. Right. And you still get, you know, you can... You can play the story ahead and, and go to the next checkpoint, which it lights up in gold if you hit a certain trigger button. Or you can hang around the place you're at and look for those eagle nests up in the highest ridiculous points, like old school Tomb Raider, right? Climbing and zip lining and jumping and, and doing all sorts of stuff to find those little extra trinkets and the like I said, the eagle eggs and, and things like that. There's plenty to collect and do without following the story, which is cool. And the tombs are actually like side missions. Uh, you'll stumble across an opening to a tomb. There'll be sort of clues like uh, paintings and carvings on the wall that'll sort of point you in the direction of where a tomb might be. And then the tombs are totally side missions for extra loot. And that's where you'll really get the old school Tomb Raider, you know, how am I going to get to that platform? I have to move this rock over here so I can reach this and pull that lever and I have to finish, you know, I have to pull the lever and get to that other platform in X amount of seconds before the door closes again, like all classic Tomb Raider stuff. Um, And I really like that they put them in as side missions rather than bogging down the entire game with tomb after tomb after tomb. Uh, we've done that already, right? There's been a lot of old Tomb Raider games that uh, that did that for the duration. So I'm really enjoying it. I'm only like 40% through, and that's pretty much sticking to the story. I, I When I'm done, I plan on going back and finding all of the idols and all of the... Uh, Different, you know, like I said, the eggs and, and different things you can collect. And, and you find maps along the way that highlight where some of these items might be and stuff. So there's plenty of replay value to go back and, and try to collect all that stuff. Kind of reminds me a little bit of like an Assassin's Creed, uh, you know, with that sort of side mission, collecting feathers and stuff like that. Really good. I'm happy with both games. Uh, they've been taken up the, the little extra time that I have. I've been switching between Gears of War sessions and and getting a couple of missions done on Tomb Raider. So I recommend them both. Very cool. Cool. Between 
editing podcasts, being on podcasts, work, um, thwarting website hack attacks, and uh, watching The Shield. I haven't really had a whole lot of time to play uh, video games in the last few weeks, but I did. I've, I've been playing a little bit of Mark of the Ninja. Uh, Steam had a sale, and Mark of the Ninja was 5 bucks. And I played through the first little level there, and I can say it is definitely worth five bucks. It would easily probably be worth ten to fifteen bucks, depending how long it is. It's it's a lot of fun, uh, and you can kind of play it. You mainly have to play it stealth, uh, but there is there is combat to it, and there's cool little tricks that you can use to to stay stealthy, and you get bonus points for. Completing your objectives without alerting guards and and things like that, and uh, it's 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 a fun it's a fun game. I know it made a lot of people's uh, top ten or top twenty lists for 2012, and uh, you know just like I said, playing that little bit, I can I can definitely see why. Uh, I'm I'm really anxious to get the Dragonborn DLC for Skyrim, and then going back through and actually finishing that out. Um, but yeah, lately I've just been I just haven't had the time, and then of course getting. Uh, Gears of War, so so John and I can get back to some multiplayer. Yes. That's about it. One last thing I want to mention before I forget. Uh, Bioshock Infinite, one of the most awesome video game soundtracks ever. Uh, the the version I, came, I got came with a download of the soundtrack, which doesn't actually include all the songs, because there's some... Um, popular music in there as well in, in the game but popular music done in a 1912 style for instance um uh i think it's called god only knows by the beach boys done by a barbershop quartet oh yeah or a 1912 <laughs> version of everybody wants to rule the world or girls just want to have fun nice uh or fortunate son by ccr look them up on youtube if you can i mean if you're not worried about spoilers i don't, I don't think off the top of my head any of them would spoil anything from where they are in the game but just to hear some of the versions, it are, they are fantastic. I've listened to the uh, God Only Knows cover like probably 40, 50 times since I heard it in the game, and it's just gorgeous. Speaking of that, there is one other video game thing that I have, um, and I'll be very brief. But today I saw, I think it was Kotaku, it may have been uh, Joystick.com, had the Unreal Engine 4 demo running off of a PS4 dev kit, and it's pretty phenomenal. Um, it looks like, I mean, it seems like every generation we say the next, the current generation's cutscenes are going to be what the next generation's, you know, uh, rendered on the fly scenes look like. And the stuff they showed is allegedly all, uh, real time rendered. It's not any kind of full time cutscene. And I was really blown away. I mean, if that's what we're going to get for in engine gameplay, on this next generation, which again will translate to the to the PC, uh, Unreal Engine Four is a pretty remarkable leap forward in technology, and I can't wait to see some of the games coming out. Um, I, I know we're on the cusp of some sort of next Xbox announcement, and uh, I'm really curious to see the games running on that engine and how they're going to look. You can tell that this cycle is ending, right? Like all of these games are, are sort of sequels and they're point fives of their last version and stuff like that. I'm really looking forward to I, I'm not really ready to go buy another PlayStation right now, but uh, I'm looking forward to what the next gen is going to be able to do. Yep. 
I wonder if if the Hobbit trend continues at all with using a faster frame rate. I wonder if the new PlayStation would be compatible if that was the next move. Like um, some games already run at sixty frames per second. I think. Yeah, the games, but not the movies. I, th- I think they're oh oh like in the actual yeah play, yeah Blu-rays because it was ready for it was compatible with 3D like way before there was home 3D right I think the big thing that the PS4 is going to push to be honest with you is this whole 4K thing yeah and that's that's mostly going to be streaming right I mean there yeah. aren't going to be 4K discs I don't think if if they come out with some sort of 4K disc format I think I'm just going to shoot myself in the head. Yeah. Yeah, I would hope that Blu-ray would be the last physical format. That's what I'm putting my money on. Yeah, I, I'm. I think that we're probably in that boat. So are we? Are we BS'd out? I think so. I'm yeah. back to Bioshock. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks everyone for joining us for this episode of the Legion of Dudes. As we remind you, keep an eye on the feed. If you notice that episodes get stale, nothing new is coming out, please go to the website, uh, hhwlod.com, and resubscribe or relook uh, through iTunes for a current feed and resubscribe there. Uh, like I said, we're thinking about sometime in early May that you might see some disruption, but uh, I think there'll be some cool stuff coming. We, we plan on giving the website a new, fresh look. Uh, a complete new overhaul on the back end, which which most of you won't won't notice too much, um, but it'll it'll allow us some flexibility moving forward. So please please check that out. Uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you could do so at five one six four six eight seven nine one two. Leave us a an email at comments at legionofdudes dot com. Check out the Facebook groups, uh, Twitter feeds, etc. For all of the shows on the HHWLOD podcast network, including Half Hour Wasted. Out Now with Aaron and Abe, The Walking Dead TV podcast, hopefully a new episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. very soon. I think I think hopefully we'll hear some more news soon. Yeah, I think we're looking at doing something for the Phase 1 set. So uh, that comes out this week. So yeah. look for a F- S.H.I.E.L.D. show pretty soon. Yeah, John and I have talked about maybe doing some sort of uh, unboxing. So uh, you never know what might uh, pop up on on the website or on YouTube or something like that. So uh, we'll we'll see what what's to come. And if you need a good deal on Cialis, we now know a guy. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully no more of that for sure. <laughs> so again, until next week, uh, or where we will be discussing digital comics, all sorts of uh, platforms, um, what our favorite you know ways to read, methods to read, uh, actual books themselves. Uh, So tune in for that next week. So until then, this is Russ uh, signing off. Have a good one, everybody. Good night.